Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. Uh, how's your social network life? Oh man, you know what? I don't. I've, I've lost. I've lost touch with. It. <laughs> I know that's what we're talking about today, but uh, if I jump straight to the point, like I, Facebook doesn't work for me anymore because I stopped using it, and I, I kind of miss it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I have the opposite and, position. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, we'll we'll do a little chit chat before we talk about the movie. But uh, you're mm-hmm. setting up a Wi-Fi network for your Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I got. I picked up. Yeah, I'm not going to be bashful. I'm not going to hate myself, as you said. Uh, I did buy my first um, new car uh, this week, and I waited months for it. But actually, I planned it for years since. I, it's your first electric vehicle. My first new car that I've ever purchased. Yeah, my first electric oh. vehicle. And when I was a teenager, I said I was like studying future technologies and cars, and I thought it was going to go hydrogen. But I was like, I'm never going to buy a gas-powered car, and. Um, I've kept that promise for 40 years, so, um, or not really, I wasn't zero when that happened, but, yeah. you know, anyway, well, generally. I don't even have a driver's license, so. Yeah, I'm very principled, yeah. and this was a principle I, I refused to bend on. And How so, much do you need a car in your daily life? Um, Like, quite a bit if you want to go outside the city. Um, yeah. In the city, not at all, really. Um, and how, how often do you go out of the city? Uh, we go out of the city maybe once a month or so. Um, yeah. So, so the did, co- you, the did cost you think about renting instead of buying and stuff like that? Mm, I have in the past, but it's really a pain in the ass, especially if like you're running errands or as an artist, like I'm moving stuff around, um, which doesn't happen that often. I guess I could rent it each time, but um, yeah, it's surprising how bad the car rentals are, it, especially in New York. Like uh, we do Zipcar, and there's a garage nearby, but then. The garage is not owned by Zipcar, so you get there and the person's really confused. They're not sure how many cars they have. The, there's no service on a phone line. Nobody knows what's going on, so hmm. they have the wrong car or the brake's not working. Or Where do you go? Which car company? Crumbs. Like, Sorry? Which, which rental car company do you use? A Zipcar, but, and sometimes oh, right, Hertz. Yeah. And then Hertz is a bit better, but a lot of the car companies work on this idea of uh, having less inventory than you rent out, so you show up, and it's that Seinfeld scene of like, well, I reserved the car, <laughs> but you don't have the car. But I thought that yeah. Zipcar fixes that basically because it's like you book the car on a phone, you don't never talk to a person. Yeah, but then you get there, and then the guy in the garage. One time we had a, we had planned a. What's what's the February fourteen love holiday? Uh, the. Oh, Jeremy? Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. We we like, planned it. Thank you. It's okay. We planned a Valentine's weekend and booked a hotel. And then we get there, and the guy in the garage is really overwhelmed. Another guy was sick. Yeah. So everybody's screaming, "Where's my car? I've been waiting here for half an hour." And then we get there, and it's like, uh, "There's no key in the car." I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't know. And he was all sweaty, and we felt bad for him too. So well, that's so funny. Like, so Maybe. that's the frustration. Yeah, no, well, I'm it makes a, a lot of sense. Like, why would people own a car if they go out once a month? And I guess I, 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 re- I used this service called Car to Go for a while, which was like a car sharing thing. But the car yeah, was never there thing. when I needed it, and then I'd be late for a meeting. And I'm like running through the city streets trying to get to the car. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. like uh, I was, I'm reading a book right now called The Ultimate Number. It's about net promoter score. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like, you know, how satisfied are your customers? And one of the case studies of like a company that cares you know, that that has like built in, 
customer care, like from top to bottom, in and out, and that they use as a case study for like why this is so important to the growth of a business is Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And I'm sure you've heard of Enterprise, but they also, I think, purchased Zipcar. Um, So that's why I was like asking you which car company. And famously, you know, in terms of positioning and strategy, car rental is like in brand world is like the most interesting thing to study because if you think about it, it's so commodified. It's like they they actually do nothing except service on top of here, take this thing, right? It's like, well, I, do, I do know, you know I know someone who works for Hertz and it's pretty depressing because they just have this business model where they don't have enough cars. So all the time you have to disappoint people. Yeah. So enterprise revolutionized the industry by like, like essentially saying, no, 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 it's not about the car. It's about the service. And so we're going to sell service, not rent cars. Well, Zipcar has no service whatsoever. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what's funny about it. Cause it takes you two hours to speak to a person. There's like all these phone trees and menus and things. And But maybe you yeah. don't remember in the 90s, at least in North America, they would run these ads. Enterprise would be like, we'll pick you up. Like they would drive to your house. Oh. Like the, they would actually come in the car. And yeah. then they, I don't know how they got home. Maybe they walked home or something, but like <laughs> they, they, their whole thing was like to, and the way they did it was really innovative. So the company, it never came from executives, like these ideas, the ideas would always come from the dealerships because the dealerships all competed against each other for the best customer service score. They had this like special score called EQ. Uh, I can't remember what it is, but it's like a quality yeah. score. And so they would like come up with ideas to improve their scores and they you know, get special prizes if they're, it was the first like company to really gamify customer service or one of the first. I'm also well, I, reminded. I'm shocked to hear that because everything, uh, any car rental service has been from kind of okay to terrible. It was never great. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. But you know, the like famous. Like, um, like another example, you rent a car on what, Expedia together with your ticket and you get a discount oh, yeah. terrible and then you do the insurance and then you get to the uh, car rental and they say oh that insurance is actually not valid you have to buy our insurance yeah the bottom line when you rent a car is the entire time that you're driving that car you feel incredibly anxious because of what you just described like you're not sure if you're going to bring it back and then someone's going to be like hey what's this ding where'd that come from and you're like so you know chris and i are always taking tons of pictures of the car and like you know, you're just, it's precarious the whole time. So yeah. I do think that that's why. But there's also a precarity to owning a car in New York and finding parking every time and having to move for the street cleaners. And Yeah, and I, I live in a, a building with um, two parking spots that I own. And But the funny thing is about these parking spots that I own is that they're worth as much as like houses in some, you know, yeah. some, some cities. I think they're like $30,000 I could I could sell them for thirty or forty thousand dollars each, which is insane when you think about it. It's just a spot where a piece of is concrete. this a humble brag? No, but I just think it's crazy that in cities that's how much a, in New York. I think you could buy a parking why, spot why is probably that crazy? sixty grand, sixty thousand dollars for a parking spot. Yeah, but why is that crazy? I think because you know you just ask the question: Do you even need a car? <laughs> it's like, and then you need the space for the car. Yeah. And in the case of my car, I had to install like you know, power to charge it and stuff. And uh, Well, if a shitty apartment costs about a million dollars, then a parking spot is going to be expensive too, yeah. Yeah, but it's just so, um, I guess it's that, yeah, we're like old people talking about the cost of bread or something, but these costs add up over time and and you think it must, yeah, yeah, you're like, I never thought I would be spending this much money to move from point A to point B, but I guess it's one of the most, it's like 
transportation, Uber, right? It's like Uber and Airbnb and places you stay, right? Like those are the two yeah. things that we care yeah. about. But I did want to mention the customer service thing because Tony Shea died uh, yesterday or two days ago. The Zappos guy? CEO of Zappos. We had just stepped down. He died in a recently. fire or something? In a in a family related home fire yeah, that we I hadn't heard about, up, and he was out of he wasn't in Las Vegas at the time. He was in the Northeast. So man, you got all that money, and then you still have bad luck. He was only forty six years old. Um, yeah. re, like revolutionized the customer service experience for online business, and I think it leads into this conversation that yeah. we want to have today, which is like, you know, he took a shoe company that he didn't own. Uh, he had sold a separate company uh, of his for a few hundred million dollars bought this shoe comp- online shoe company and was like, you know, I noticed that people were anxious about buying things online. I was like, okay, like I'm going to have to, to resolve that anxiety, I'm going to have to create the world's best customer experience and we're going to have to like humanize it in a huge way. And we're going to, and to do that, we're going to have to revolutionize the culture of this company so that everyone who works here is just like so passionate about w- working here. In fact, we're going to pay them to quit. Did you know that, I don't know if you know that they did that at Zappos, but they became famous for all of these things to create a workplace culture where you actually wanted to help the customer, which, which I was alluding to with enterprise. Yep. And then, uh, and then, and then Tony Shade took it one step further. He's like downtown Las Vegas. He was like, Hey, what it, wouldn't it be cool if like we rehabilitated this neighborhood? And I'm not saying like, this was all good. Cause there's some problems with this, but like no one was like, let's make downtown Las Vegas. Great. Tony Shea like dumps a pile of cash on downtown Las Vegas. And I don't know if you've been to downtown Las Vegas, but now it's like a legitimate place people go and mm. it's rel- relatively vibrant. People well, live there. Yeah, and it's interesting because it does seem like uh, customer service the last 10 years is when you think of uh, mobile phone contracts, they were kind of horrible before and then uh, that got better and yeah. uh, uh, a lot of things got better. I feel like car rentals and insurance are still very customer unfriendly and sort of you always feel like they're stealing from you or giving you a bad deal yeah but you would now you'd buy shoes online which um is crazy when you think about it it's the hardest thing if you think about buying shoes yeah you want like shoe yeah you want to walk around it and stuff but you know they revolutionized yeah. it by saying hey like take get order as many and return them for free right like and we'll do yeah. it over the phone um so anyway i i just i thought i'd mention that because a it was very influential to my company and my well, career like it's but, interesting because um, you for them, for Tesla and for Zappos, they're dealing with customers, not users. So that, that's an interesting, different word. That's that's a huge point. And I guess, yeah, in regards to this week's movie, which is more of like a New York Times editorial than a movie. Yeah. But, um... yeah. So <laughs> with the movie uh, that we're discussing, it's The Social Dilemma. It's uh, one of those uh, make you feel bad documentaries. <laughs> that's what I call the category. Just like there's a documentary about the sugar industry or the Federal Reserve or whatever you want to be upset about. And uh, and then you go, just go, I can't believe things are this bad. That's like the feeling you want to get from these documentaries. I just I just can't believe it. How can these people do this? Except in this case, at least for you and I, I think probably this movie feels like it, it could have been made like 10, 15 years ago. Like it's it seems so like over the top obvious. <laughs> Yeah, but what was funny, one of the things that uh, that struck me is that even as obvious as, as it was, it was a slight wake-up call for me. Even though I knew everything that was in the movie, it mm. was still like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to pay attention. Well, we should, yeah. and I, it, It's give, the same, like, let's say that uh, 
you have severe health issues and you really need to change your life and for the first time you hear that sugar is bad yeah that's like an eye opener you're like yeah but for, yeah. But for someone who is already pretty healthy you can still watch a documentary on lifestyle and be like oh i should improve mm-hmm. my sleeping or i should reduce uh this or that so well you know the, the film which is about um essentially it's about facebook it's about all social media and how it's designed to be addictive and we'll get into that yeah the design and patterns about also the, the, uh, media distribution and news distribution yeah and it, and it, it like basically the movie can be summarized as like if something is, you know, when something is free, you, you know, you are the product. Um, what's that statement? It's like for free software. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, basically the, what you said. But I, I think this movie summarizes a lot of things we're feeling and it tries to bring together, like people are worried about uh, fake news. They're worried about loneliness. Yeah. They're worried about anxiety. It's and a great then, summary of that. What this movie is trying to show you is that that's all the same logic from ad-driven uh, yeah. social media. And it does start some great um, authoritative but, voices. But I, I wanted to, before we start reviewing the movie, okay. there's two ways we could talk about the movie. And we can talk about the style and art direction and editing of the movie, or we can talk about the topic and how we feel about social media. I think we got to talk a little like, bit about both. But what, what and do you I feel like? like those are two things you, you have to separate because mm-hmm. uh, as much as this movie is trying to wake us up about how bad social media is, it's also an alarmist, clickbaity wake up, sheeple. itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a clickbait yeah. thing itself. So yeah. uh, that's something I wanted to even talk though, about. Even the title, The Social Dilemma. Ooh, what is that? What's a dilemma? What's the dilemma? The social... Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's definitely... So, so basically out. the thesis of of the I think the whole documentary is that any uh, thing any digital uh, item that is sent to you the more it it asks for your attention the more it will be shared the better for the company that's sending that signal yeah and the downside of that mechanism is that it just uh, the same as fast food. It just gets saltier and more sugar and more salt. And at some point you have yeah, a heart attack. And the algorithm is not, wasn't designed necessarily to suck you in, but um, you know, now the, I think the ultimate argument is, and you have to really look at this by industry. And so for the content creation or, or user generated content industry, I would almost put it as, or the social so media, YouTube, Instagram. Yeah. Uh, which, which are basically the equivalent of television networks in the 1960s. That's what we have. To, that's what we had then. Today we have Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Well, it's, okay? it's decentralized television. Yeah, it's decentralized. Yeah, exactly. It's user generated television, and user generated television is supported the same way, the exact same way that 1960s television was supported, which is with an ad revenue model, right? Free ad television. Yeah, yeah. Free television in the 1960s. Free television in 2020, it looks the same. And so, but the problem is now in 2020, the ad model is programmatic. What is programmatic advertising? It is advertising that is tied to an algorithm uh, and that is generated and, you know, kind of sequenced in relationship to the way the content is also sequenced. So it's yeah, like, you also have to, you also have to think about it. The scale is so huge that. The only way you can do this is by software. You can't just have 
human it's too teams complex, yeah. personally curating things for two billion users. And that's what's hilarious internet. about the movie because they have this whole like they anthropomorphize the computer as like this AI. Yeah, this the, the movie is a half dramatized, so there's, there's yeah. actors in scenes. Yeah, Vincent Carthus. And you sort of see like a, a late teenager boy who gets radicalized by YouTube. Played by Skylar Gasondo. I don't know. I've seen him in a couple of things. The ben. guy from Mad Men. Is that what he's from? Yeah, he was like the, the frustrated uh, product manager in Mad Men. Oh, yeah, right, right. Account manager, yeah. Um, yeah, but essentially, the reason I say you have to separate this out because that industry is the one pursuing this goal. And all of these technologies that they talk about do exist in other industries. Um, and privacy is a concern, probably, but it's not used the same way. Like, data is not used... <clears throat> let's, like, use an example of... Um, Let's say like actually even um, like, a act, well, you know, one negative example would be Amazon does use this, the same techniques in a way to get you to consume. Um, but like if you're. Well, I, I personally don't feel like I'm shopping more because of Amazon. I buy quite practical things on Amazon and the, the more the superfluous f- fun shopping for me is things like clothing. Mm hmm. I don't buy those on Amazon. So I'm not really buying that they're like pushing me algorithmically to buy more toilet paper. It's it's very I practical mean, for me, Amazon. Yeah, I and mean, for you, but I think in terms of their revenue and their you know, their their quarterly reports, they're doing quite well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I that's the shift from the grocery store to Amazon, but that's not yeah. necessarily that they are algorithmically so good at tempting me. I, well, I, I think yeah, I, I think just... if let's say like gadget brands and fashion brands are better at creating temptations than Amazon. and Yeah. Well, the, the point I, I wanted I, to make ultimately was just that the algorithms that they use, like at a company like mine, or, or let's take Shopify as an example, a B2B or some other B2C format where advertising is not the revenue model, subscription as a service is the model. Um, like Netflix is another example where the algorithm might get you to consume more Netflix. Yeah, and with but, Netflix, I'm buying it. Yeah, but you're paying for that. And you're like, I want it to tell me what to like. You're like, you're, you're well, literally... Well, that's the weird thing because... New York Times and Netflix are subscription-based, mm-hmm. but they still do clickbait. No, you're right. So And they're I, a little bit you know different. I, I understand the difference between Netflix and New York Times. Like, New York Times can really make these headers that lure you in, and then you become a member. But And they're using data the, to the make those The whole category of, of these sensationalist uh, documentaries on Netflix would be like, oh, my God, did you see this documentary? I can't believe these evil yeah. people. No, you're right. I'm going ta- yeah. to take back my point and say, like, if there's one fault in the documentary from a rhetorical standpoint, like like we're editorial, is that they keep it to social media and they don't expand on the co- the problem as it expands out from social media into other um, revenue generating software companies. Well, but I uh, I don't mind that focus on on social media. I think that's all right. Yeah, but maybe what you what I wanted to get out that people might not know is that the the techniques that they talk about these design techniques in the movie that incent us to use and consume yeah our growth hacking techniques and they talk to a few growth actual growth hackers in excuse me excuse me (laughs) i'm allergic to growth hacking i really hate that word but yeah to people uh, they so they do have a few folks that you know kind of generated that or were part of that movement but what what has happened with that movement is it consumes all companies now and there's no such thing as a non-software company i think that's the other thing that they don't mention necessarily but any business that starts today is an online business and any online yeah. business is yeah. a software driven business because 
as I said earlier, almost everything has some level of automation built into it. Can we talk about the style of the documentary for a second? Well, oh, so are we going to come back to this? Because it's like a huge, <laughs> it is a huge conversation to have. Okay, we can we can fall we can come back to this, but like yeah, because I I, I want to talk a little bit about this category of documentaries and uh, also the, the this documentary never um, interviewed any founders or CEOs. So they, they, they interviewed employees of the companies and all the employees seemed kind of mm. disgruntled and upset that they had created these things. That's true, yeah. And like most they had, of like, them early Instagram employee kind of thing. They're all yeah. and they're all wealthy by now. <laughs> yeah. They're all in either a gray T shirt or a denim button up shirt. They all have very practical clothing and it seems that they uh, are not so worried about their appearance. That's uh, not a priority in their life. Mm-hmm. They seem very bland. They seem just like very normal, oh, clever. So I, I just thought that they look like tech workers to me. That's what I read. Yeah, yeah, before. yeah. But what I mean is like if, if you have a culture of tech workers who are obsessed with efficiency, like fashion is inefficient. I'll just wear a gray T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And then you put those people to work and you have to give them a purpose because yeah. they don't have their own purpose. They're, they're not like, oh, I'm a songwriter. I have these great songs in my head and I just want the world to hear them. I don't care about money. These people are just like almost robots. Yeah. And then you could give them any purpose. They, they seem idealistic because they're disappointed what they did. So they could have created algorithms that solved uh, uh, polio or whatever. But they decide to work on the like button. Well, that's a, yeah, you're making a good point. And Tony Shea, and, actually, who I mentioned earlier, realized this as part of his Zappos kind of he had to build a great culture because he wanted to embed purpose within the lives of people who were selling shoes online. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. so are these people that are showing regrets and they're saying, oh, I'm so sorry I created this thing that is like they're really talking about this might cause civil war, etc. There's so much rage. But I it's think, like, that yeah, why didn't point, you do something better with your time? Well, one at one point in the documentary, they allude to the fact that the purpose did seem pure. And I think it's important for us to like rewind 15 years. But really, like when you create the like button, you really think... Think about it. Love. Like, <laughs> That's the yeah, same. but but let's say you just have a brain for software. Yeah, but right? I went to. I remember going to a documentary. Uh, sorry, a, a conference, and the creative director of Facebook, which I don't think they have a creative director of Facebook anymore. But he he did a keynote, and his keynote was all about how <clears throat> the internet, the purpose of Facebook was to enable communication online, enable connections. But the problem it, was nonverbal cues it, didn't it, exist it, on the internet. Just so. just think about that for a second. Yeah. How arrogant that is, because there was already email, like. Who are they to think like we're going to enable communication? Well, they're saying like nonverbal communication, which happens face to face, was you can do not that possible. in email too. I don't know. I, With I emojis, right? I'm or just like, saying. I'm just saying like you're yeah. a twenty-something uh, person who is all about efficiency and great T-shirts, and and you just you're like a robot that needs a purpose, and you just don't have any idea what to do. And you're like, okay, I'll go work for the Zuckerberg android, and uh, help him create more power for himself. Yeah, I do think there's like legitimate amounts of excitement that that was probably misplaced of people that wanted to change the world. You're absolutely right. And that's like part of how tech companies, including the one I work at, really position themselves to attract yeah, the best people. Yeah, but I think your company is very different. Like you're creating a practical tool. There's some growth hacking, but you're not doing things where you take people's data and then offer them shoes and then make them feel bad that their shoes are old. And I don't know, I... I I think solving uh, accounting and making it cheaper for people to own a small business is not evil. No, I know, but I wanted—I did want to get back to this at some point because 
the growth hacking techniques that Facebook and others used are used to solve a problem that every company has, including mine, including Shopify. I know, but you can choose which company you work for. That's no, that's true. That's true. And in the and, valley, and, a val- the valley had a lot of companies that were about social order and social networking and. Or, or just like, like massive if scale. someone creates if someone creates Photoshop, which can be used in bad ways too. But in general, you're creating a creative tool that helps yeah. people. I don't think that's. But that's, that's not maybe near, the, like the key it's, it's, it's making <clears throat> sticky, addictive shit. Yeah, but I remember when YouTube came out, I thought of it as a tool, not a machine, right? Like, so I didn't look at it as a consumption yeah. service. I I saw it as a creation service, and creators were what YouTube talked about. YouTube talked about the creators and the independent. So you're saying the algorithm just went off on its own and started uh, becoming. I'm saying more, like, yeah. well. If you have creators, the creators demand an audience, right? Like, and then an audience demands an advertiser, ultimately, like in terms of revenue model. And then before long, people forget that they were, you know, they they were creating, or in my case, it re- became really hard to compete against the algorithm to show up in the algorithm because there's so much content being generated just for the algorithm and not by people who are just creating content. Um, and so then all the independent voices get drowned out by like essentially what are you know, Q, like QVC shopping channel videos, like, you know, here's the latest review of the n- the new iPhone, or here's like, you know, how five ways to uh, improve your hair color or something like that, you know, so the whole service is now just designed as almost like an advertising engine and not, and not, and it's in a, in a way, it's not YouTube's fault is the point of the documentary to think as yeah. well. It's they that, just created a Frankenstein thing. They that a went Frankenstein off thing. Yeah. I mean, I will, cast blame on YouTube to a certain extent, but the original imperative of like user generated content, I talk about this quite a lot in my own art practice was beautiful. Like the, the point it, like if it, let's go back to 1960, you couldn't get yourself on television. You had yeah. to be wealthy and actor or that's or, the funny promise that you think if you democratize things, good things will happen. And yeah. also bad things happen. It's not like, uh, I always think of the invention of email. It's like, Think of all the time we spend going to the post office and buying stamps and putting uh, letters <clears throat> in envelopes. We're going to have so much free time once we invent email. Yeah. And yeah. that didn't happen. It just means people have to work 24-7 now. So th- the movie has like um, a couple of folks that are worth listening to. One is Shoshana Zuboff, who most of our, or maybe if our listeners haven't heard of her, you know, in the art world, sometimes people are tired of hearing her name, but she wrote a book called Surveillance Capitalism. And it became like must read a few years ago. And it really details in granular detail by talking to engineers and designers and different people at these companies, how the algorithm functions to you know, create um, a new form of oil, which is like user data, right? And it's like this new form of capitalism that mines um, our psychographic detail you know and then the interesting thing I've, I've been critical of the book in a few contexts because, and I think in this movie, this it's worth talking about as well. And Jaron Lanier is also in this movie, I should mention, who we've talked about on this podcast a few times, um, who works at Microsoft too, which is weird. Anyway, but yeah. rolling back um, to my point is like I've often criticized someone like Shoshana's point of view because, well, at the end of her book, she starts to hint that artists are part of the answer. And, and why she says that, you know, obviously is that... Well, that's always when you can't fix something. <laughs> like the artists will figure this out. But, you know, well, I don't think that she, she didn't do nearly enough research into what artists have done and can do and are doing 
in this world. But when we're talking about social media, we're really talking about culture, right? When we're talking about consumption, we're also talking about culture because I talked about it a second ago, the user generated part cannot be ignored. And so I have always though promoted the idea that like, it's not just the user, like the creator that is generating content, it's also the consumer. And as a consumer, you actually have a, a tremendous amount of creative power that you yeah the, can either the, the, the line between uh, producer and consumer is blurred yeah and so like one example would be you know one of the ways that you can fight back against media and this goes back like to the 60s and 70s and video art you know for me i think i've talked about this on podcast enough times but like then the f- consumer video camera became available and like you know namjoon pike picks it up and starts creating his own media he doesn't create recreate a television show with that media like he doesn't like go out and find advertisers and investors for his content, right? Instead, he, you know, does something that no one else has done, right? He generates a new form, um, a new media, if you will, right? And and quite a few people did that. And they and they did it as a almost like a political act. Like if you look at um something like uh someone like Nancy Holt, uh, or in my case, you know, I was or like William Wegman is, or Vito Conti. It's an interesting point because then you're moralizing uh, certain output where there's a few artists. Uh, I've been thinking about this myself. Like, you work as an artist and your price goes up, and your friends can't buy your work anymore. So, as a ethical, moral gesture, you start a shop with additions and make them affordable, etc. Mm-hmm. But that implies that the expression that you do is better than whatever is in the rest of the world. And just by bestowing that upon the people for a lower price, you're doing a good deed. And that's yeah. kind of the arrogance of Silicon Valley. Like, oh, we'll make things available for people and that will make the world better when actually people need peace and quiet. Well, I mean, we can't tell people what they need, but at the same no, time... No, exactly. Like, but yeah. it, but there's, a, there's an arrogance to the idea that by making things available, mm-hmm. you're doing good. Yeah, and also I think by participating in a capital or capitalist kind of loop, that that is the only way to engage. What my point about yeah, the nineteen seventies yeah. was like, okay, they created actually no, entirely no, different uh, distribution. What I mean with Nam Jung Pike is like, oh, TV is very commercial and uh, corporate. Yeah. So I am going to bestow upon you my genius, and just by making that available, mm-hmm. I'm better than them. I get. Yeah, I guess so. But I, I think like what I would characterize it as is like destabilizing normalcy versus restabilizing normalcy and what i see a lot of people doing today yeah but what i mean is what i mean is uh namjung pike or whichever independent underground creator Mm -hmm. is also selling themselves like everybody's selling themselves yeah even sure and even if if the artist is from is independently wealthy from their family they're still benefiting with their reputation so it's all everybody's asking for attention yeah but like my point about like um, destabilizing normalcy, I think is interesting in regards to like what is the problem with there being just two or three people in charge of everything or two or three companies? Yeah. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is their version of the way things should be might not function well or might not create the right outcomes for millions or billions of people. And so democratization truly has to be decentralized in some manner. And the the artist as the independent decentralized agent, I think, I think still persists today. But I think, I think we're just learning like unleashing the beast and letting everyone talk to each other Mm -hmm. has negative and positive outcomes. Like if you live in a, in a city 
where or in a small town and no one else has the same interests as you or wants the same lifestyle and you find other people and there's camaraderie and you find people and you feel better that there are other people who feel the same yeah that's a good thing but then if you put people in front of youtube and it slowly starts to show you more extreme political views and you get angrier and angrier and you get and you start thinking about plotting a terrorist attack then that's probably not a good thing so but my point is like if you're like finding it, like-minded people can be good and bad it starts it's with not, your intent if your intent is to be impressed upon then color yourself no no i'm saying the intent is if the intent is to create the plumbing that mm. uh, gets people in touch you, you, oh, yeah, yeah. you shouldn't be surprised that there are good and bad outcomes no, that's true. I guess that I, I'm getting lost in my point, which is, and I'll make it, and I'll, I'll stop, which is like, if you're getting, if you're worried about this, there's like a very simple hack, which is to start being creative with your choices, right? So the first thing you can do is, you know, potentially decide that gender is not important to how you consume content, right? Like a lot of these services have your an option for you to select a gender, I would encourage you to switch that, right? Like corrupt your data I th- or I think denormalize you're too naive. your data. Mm, I don't know. Because I think I don't think it, it's like you're like uh, when you go to McDonald's, just order the salad. <laughs> well, the reason like, I bring it up is because it it leads into a conversation about persona, right? Which is one of the most creative no, acts we have available. No, but I think the, the crux of this documentary is that everybody goes in with good intentions, but uh, really, what the Net- but, social networks want is your attention. Sure, but you and have a, you have power whether you're going to be a container for their content or no, whether you don't you're going have to be a power. Th- I think that's the crux of the documentary. You don't have power. Well, that's the ret- yeah, I, and I I disagree that that people don't have some agency. You know, well, it, I, I, think I think it's, it's very insulting. similar to the fast food industry. Is that you or or even to. Uh, uh, addictive drugs whether legal or illegal and you can be like just say no like just well, leave the hamburger I, the documentary the makes the point though that the real victims here are children because they have less self-asserted control well that's similar systems. with fast food yeah right yeah sugar drinks fast food like that and that's why legislation matters right the, at yeah. no point of the documentary they're like adults are idiots but they kind of allude to it which I no, find but one of the things that shocked me, which is true, is that the the makers of these tools also admitted they were addicted themselves. Yeah. So these are these are full grown adults that didn't grow up with these social networks. They created them. Yeah. And even they were like, "Yeah, I wanted to spend time with my kids, but I would go in the pantry and look at my phone to look at some updates of the tool that I made." Well, yeah, I was reading this thing in the Times about you know um, Hawking said that like we might be close to a theory of everything. Um, you know, in terms of like understanding the world and physics and how everything functions. Um, But he said, there's no way humans are going to finish that theory. It's actually going to be finished by computers. (laughs) And the problem is we're not going to understand as much as the computers do about the theory of everything. It's going to be in a a whole different way of, uh, not even a different language, but just a different conception of information. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say this from you know my side on the software side of things. We collect a ridiculous amount of data, but the assumption that we know what to do with that data, um, in fact, there's just a blanket policy they mentioned in the film to collect as much as you can because you don't know what you might need later as technology develops. And there's a they present this idea of like, well, we should have like a data tax, like you can only collect so much without paying tax. Um, 
that could be good. It could be terrible, like because there might be like life saving things that we want to do. Like, say we wanted to do something, not me, but say a company wanted to you know, generate a vaccine program to, you know, help distribute vaccines more efficiently for billions of people. I don't know. Maybe in the next few months, they might need to know something about how people behave to do that distribution yeah. in a manner that is potentially, you know, saves hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, I don't, I don't want to position as life or death, but like that could occur. That could be a rationalization for data collection. So I don't think all data, there's this assumption, I think, especially in Europe, that all data collection is bad. There's no, you know, but actually census data, which is the first and, you know, and a lot of people, you know, like hundreds of years ago decided, hey, if we don't know about what's going on, we can't actually adequately scale up um, social services. <laughs> you know, like we yeah. can't bring housing to people. We can't bring healthcare to people. And so I think we, ha- you know, you do have to fork that from that. My earlier point was like social media is one thing. Data collection is another. It's really around the use. And I guess the, the document eventually gets to that, which is like we just but need policies. One of place. the things I've noticed is that uh, at least... I don't know if it feels the same for you, but for a lot of people, the times feel kind of, there's a feeling of despair. There's a feeling that history is terrible. It's much worse than we thought, and we're acknowledging that. And then the future seems really scary because Mm -hmm. uh, there's a big tidal wave of uh, climate change coming, and there's financial inequality. And so I was thinking about it. Is life really worse than 30 years ago, or are we made to feel that way? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, because because if we, who you are. we both we both know superficially how these algorithms work, right? Like we both know that they want to get your attention. It's really a fight. And they have the smartest people in the world to get your attention that were personified by this actor in the movie. They're brainstorming what to send him as updates. So he looks more at a screen. He's yeah. trying to fight his addiction. He was trying to put his phone away for a sure. week. And then there's an update. Hey, your ex has a new boyfriend. Oh, I'm curious. And then they get you. Um, I mean, are we? Get, if, you know, is it another uh, argument of like, is fat, fatty food, and salt and sugar, and sex gonna and violence gonna sell in 20 years? Probably, right? Like, it's these are yeah, yeah. They, they so, leverage uh, psychology that is you know pretty well understood, and a lot of these companies have all read the same books. Like, there's that. There's a. There's all these habit books. And but these, do you do you feel like life? Is worse or better than 30 years ago? So 30 years ago is, what, 1990? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean... Right. is. But I was like 10 years old. Yeah, um, but that's that's pre... Um, even pre-internet. pre-World Wide Web and uh, etc. Was well, life I was more chill to... or is it is it just the same? It doesn't matter. All this social media didn't really change anything. I thought a lot about it because they have kids in the movie looking at screens and I was really addicted to my screen... In a, and I thought, and I still think, I was addicted to way. MTV at the time. I was on c- the computer, on my com- personal computer, probably like eight hours a day at that age. Um, yeah. And I was making games. I was tr- doing drawings. I was like creating animations. I was, you know, I was really into the creative I opportunities. Was, I was uh, always using the television also as procrastination. Like I, I knew I had to do my homework, but then there's some some cartoons and then some teenage uh, soap opera shows or whatever and then you just and music videos and you're watching that and it's like 9 p.m and then it's 10 p.m it's like oh shit i haven't done my homework i really got to do this 
I pretty much stopped um, watching TV at that age, though. I, oh, I just used cool. a computer. No, no, I just so maybe to use maybe computer. I'm more sensitive to getting sucked in than you. Like it's a big deal for me. Like I have to actively because you uh, have turned on these social media blockers and thing. And uh, I do, and, but then it, you trick yourself, and it's like okay, I'll just plan half an hour, and then that turns into an hour and a half. And because maybe what I mean is. Uh, there's bigger problems in the world, but the the way social media is a problem for me mm-hmm. is not so much political radicalization because I'll just clear my YouTube feed and then only watch music videos and then the feed is just music. Right. So just keep the politics out. But what gets me is uh, I have all kinds of work that's easy, which is more practical, like, oh, let's check on whether this production thing is going well. Let's give them a call. There's no procrastination there because it's not scary. You just it's practical work. You pick up the phone, or you you, etc. But then there's the sketching and finding ideas, and that's always nine out of ten times I don't have an idea, and it's always a bummer. So I'll sit at the table and start sketching. You've said that this is painful sometimes, right? It's always painful. Yeah, I don't know how it is for other artists, but uh, and then it's so easy to just be like, hey, let's listen to this podcast. Oh, this podcast is referencing this uh, song. Let's check it out. And then before you know it, your flow is gone. And so I think it's a big problem for me, and I'm aware of the mechanism. So it must be a big problem for a lot of people. I do think maybe I'm weird because I use Twitter, but I only use it to search for my brand name for Freshwood. And then, like, I sometimes post. I read a few other people things. It, but it sounds I, like you are just too busy in general with your day job that you can even think about social media procrastination. Well, like Facebook, as an example, I stopped using it a few years ago because I hit my friend limit. And then I was just like, and this is not a humble brag at all, because I think the friend limit's like 5,000, right? Yeah. And then I, they're like, create a page. And I was like, create a page? Now it's a management thing? I have to like manage my brand on Facebook that way? Well, Facebook is pretty and, good at ruining their own experience. And then I was like, Ugh, well, I'm not, I can't handle this anymore. This is a lot of work. And I was what like, I already YouTube? have work to do. Or, 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 like Same y- thing with YouTube. You told me that uh, at night you're too tired to watch a Criterion movie and then you'll just watch some bingey stuff. And I will do that. I will watch like... like a, like a, a sitcom or something, you know, for an I haven't, we had to do an oh, hour man. of television. It, because it, it, one of the promises of subscription is that it's a bit better than free media because it's not ad based. Mm-hmm. But then they show some serious crap. We were watching this TV show Hoarders on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it starts off kind of funny, like this couple and their house is disgusting, but then they clean it up at the end. And we're like, oh, that's kind of fun. Then the next episode is a guy in Alaska and he has, so much land that he has a hundred cars and trash. Oh no! And at the end of the show, they're like, "It's too much to clean up, so we're just going to clean up this little corner and this little house that he has <laughs> on the edge of the property, and then he can still live." And then the third episode is this woman who just was pooping on the floor in her house for twenty years, and you're just watching someone with severe mental illness who's in denial, and they bring the kids in who were crying because they grew up there and were so embarrassed and bullied. I'm like, I'm watching the downfall of a civilization as entertainment. This is horrible. Mm. And like, I finished the episode, but then I was like, no more. None of this binge crap. This is. Well, I I think it's interesting. Like, I I was lamenting the other day that, like. um... But what I mean is, it it, it preys on your weakness because you're like, I'm kind of tired, but I don't want to go to bed yet. I should be reading a book, but I'm too tired. Okay, this is easy. 
my problem is like I've already watched like 10 hoarder shows like 10 years ago and like sliced television or whatever was like the network at the time and like there's nothing new like I'm really novelty driven I will say and so even the scrolling through my newsfeed it seems like I'm seeing it's the same thing whenever I look through it I'm like oh yeah, yeah someone by the beach oh yeah another person on a hike oh yeah they had a baby great so for like, you personally this grabbing for attention from social media is, is zero problem yeah, I should have said that the outset. Like Facebook yeah, is working. I have Instagram, better. and it's like I, d- I don't. I think, I think I don't as we it. talk about this, like how is social media at all a problem for you? Um, but I think it was a, a slow decline, and I actually think it's age driven. Because I was thinking this week about how I used to love playing video games, and I was addicted to video games. Like I would go buy even pirated games. I had hundreds of games. This is when I was a teenager. And now I still actually have subscriptions to a bunch of video game services. Like you can get Xbox Game Pass now for $10 a month. It comes with like 100 games. It would take you a million years or something to play these games. And and then I sit down to play one. I'm like, "Mm, I have 10 minutes. It's mm. like, and it's like the, the, the like sequence to get into the game, just the loading screen. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I could have like probably sent an important email. This time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and I've been I trying it, to say goodbye to all the social media, but then I need it to promote my own work. And I also think it's part of, uh, sure. Showing, showing your process. I think it's a, it's a positive thing to show people. I don't disagree, and I do that too. But my bottom line is just that, like, the amount of time you have available, uh, I think, like, social media addiction is a factor of how much time you have available for social media. Yeah. And I was thinking, my parents don't play video games because life is like a video game. Like, it's just a really hard game. So basically the conclusion of this episode is that you are above this, you're enlightened. No, because I have the addiction to getting likes. Like, if I do post something... I, if, if if there aren't very many likes, I'll even pull it down and be like, mm, "This is garbage." <laughs> Gotta pull that yeah. down, you know. Like, yeah. And I'm sure everyone's done well, that. Well, you're also yeah. a marketeer, so you're like thinking about is this an effective message? And if it's not, it's like A/B testing, and then you get rid of it. I think that's the fi- the final thing that I should mention. Yeah, like is I think I'm the face. I'm Facebook. <laughs> but my point is, why can't we all behave more like Facebook? But maybe that's a terrible yeah. point. Which would no, be but, like, but, we're but all driving algorithms. That- one of the key moments to me in the documentary is that the makers of these tools were admitting themselves how addictive it is. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and they made that point, uh, only uh, drug dealers and software companies call their customers users. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it, it's a bit like, you're, you know, some people, they, they eat healthy food for so long, they don't even crave donuts anymore. And then you sound a bit like, yeah, I've had my donut phase, but, you know, just say no. Well, and just like other when things. there's a, when there's an epidemic of uh, diabetes or obesity, you can't just say like, "Oh, just use the tools creatively." <laughs> I'm just so bored of it because like, I've been having I this know argument for like 15 but years. I think I'm saying no, I'm most not enlightened. Not. I think I I feel like I I was in you know like I don't know Amsterdam in 2008 having this debate, and it's just like, what is going to happen to our children? And I'm like. Fuck, like, give your children some, like, crayons and, like, and go, like, running or get on a bike. I agree with you in theory. (laughs) I agree with you in theory. But (laughs) if you have, like, millions of people that believe in QAnon and want to shoot at people, uh, I don't know if it's so simple. Just say no. I know, because I think of everything as the producer, right? So I think we haven't created a compelling enough product (laughs) as competition <laughs> and this is a huge opportunity it's a you know there's this so, if, so judge, if i was pitching vcs today i'd be like hmm 
interesting. Our product, not addictive, but just as much pleasure. <laughs> but I, right now there's TikTok, which I'm afraid to install because I know I will give it four hours a day. Yeah. Um, but you know what the number one install? product of the, the pandemic is? It's not TikTok and it's not Facebook. What? It's puzzles. It, it's like coloring books. And pro- the Grimes just came out with a coloring book. Like, oh, okay. You know, like what is the anti- So you don't think antidote? there's a problem? I just think so, that it's a cyclical. The problem w- existed in 1970. You know, okay, it was I like pe- our television's rotting our children's brains. Yeah. Right. And I think this is not a problem that ever goes away. This is a problem that will remain a constant buzz. Now, and they do say like this is different in the documentary the same way. So you don't think that the politics have, has become more divided because of social media? I don't know. Did you grow up during Reagan, like, or Thatcher or something like that? It's pretty... Well, pretty I was not politically aware then. Or what about the Second World War when we dropped nuclear bombs on other yeah, countries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, like, well, the, fair point. And, and what about the, the the style of the documentary? Yeah, we can... I think... Well, what do you think of the style? I mean, this is like a... There's no art to this, this documentary, in my opinion. No, everyone's just sitting on a chair in a big room or a mm-hmm. couch... There's a lot of talking heads and then a little bit of dramatization. But uh, we talked about Werner Herzog before, which is a more compelling documentary maker. Yeah, there's no there's no style. This is like this is basically. But an that's my point, film. maybe of of the the gray t-shirts that they're wearing, and like these are all people that seem to have no identity. They're just some CEO was like, hey, that's an efficient unit. Let's put him to the task. Yes, this is my point. Like this whole thing is a piece of garbage that's not an art. It's not art. It's not an art form. The documentary doesn't say anything interesting. There's like, there's no creative energy behind it. I like that you're playing my role. You get to be the grumpy uh, reviewer. (laughs) I'm totally grumpy about it because I'm tired of this. And like, okay, put down the phone or don't put down the phone. Use the phone in a different way. Like, There's so much to do. Life is so cool. And you sound like, like a libertarian almost, where you're like, there is no health crisis. Just uh, just eat some broccoli. Well, I mean, just, it's like, for example, that that's a great, let's put it in the food realm. Like you walk to the grocery store. Well, yes, what if there's, there's no grocery store where you live? Well, the problem at the end of the day is marketing, if, if probably we're in that this is all tied to some, if we really scrape it all back, the issue at hand is, People are born with, and they're taught, they're, you know, they're taught to consume. And so you could probably blame the education system for not, for being top down instead of upside, you know, upside down. And we, we go through education systems that train us to be factory workers. And what does the factory worker do to relieve their stress? They need to turn off their brain. To turn off their brain, they need to consume like a certain type of content at the end of the day. And I said, I even do that. But, you know, like you, this, this is just a critique of capitalism. What do you want me to say? Like, Yeah, outside of capital, it's not the social media companies. It's capitalism that's the problem in this case, and they're they're just it doesn't have a moral imperative. It has the opposite as a corrupting imperative. This is very refreshing. I would never have thought to take this position. It's very refreshing. <laughs> I don't know. I But mean, what I about this, this this category of of um, all the streaming platforms have documentaries? That, that documentaries have surfaced more. Feels like the, compared to 20 years ago. Yeah, and Netflix and they, made that. And they, they influence the public opinion, and people try to find documentaries that enforce their existing opinion. And I think it's sad ultimately because documentary, like I mentioned, Errol Morris, or um, we talked about Werner Herzog, on, and, and there are other great documentary filmmakers, but like they, I thought when I, I studied documentary filmmaking or like in college and stuff, like the, those are the types of. Well, the, I think at. a lot of the examples you mentioned deal with 
ambiguity in yeah, mystery. The, yeah, that's the point I wanted to make, which and, is like we yeah. talked about subjectivity of the of, of the and, author's And that's voice. the same with Starship Troopers that we were talking about, could that be made today? Yeah. And where you're like, is this a joke? Is this real? <laughs> and yeah. all these documentaries like a hundred percent whatever the topic it's bad, it's scary, it's coming for you. I know. I mean, I have no, I, I really hate it because there's nothing there. There's nothing, it's like, this is it's so literally a contradiction. Jeremy. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you say the word hate. It's, a, it's really refreshing. I just get, I've been in this seat, uh, especially on this issue so many times, and I'm like, come on, like, it's, you're, it's a complete contradiction because you're saying social media is causing us not to think, and then you're like willing to absorb this content, which is like completely absent of thought. There's no Total thinking in this document. Yeah. yeah, there's no thinking in this documentary. It's just, and I, I, you know, what about Shoshana if, Zuboff if, if you're, is not wrong, if you're but not she's in not the right industry either. And you're not aware of all this stuff. Okay, like if you're, you know, living well, on a farm. To give in you Wyoming an example, my my mom uh, has a lot of time on their hands. They're both retired, so they watch way too much news. Like, I don't think it's healthy to watch the news five, six hours a day. So she's disappointed with mainstream media. So she goes on this leftist podcast with environmentalists and critiques of capitalism, and it just gets more and more hardcore. And she's like, "Well, the news is corporate. It's on TV, but <laughs> I have my independent media." And I'm like, what are you talking about? YouTube is a way bigger corporation than those Dutch news channels. Yeah. And also and that's like, just like oh, a Oh, but symptom. YouTube is not paying them. It's like, yeah, they are. <laughs> well, how are they paying? I'm not paying for it. So I'm saying for a lot of people, they're being mentally pushed in a corner and they're not aware of it. I just also think that these are symptoms. And if you want to do a root cause analysis, you know, the root cause analysis of like, why do people want to consume more on the internet would be because they're trying to fill... Not because they're trying to, but because they feel like they have to fill something empty inside of them. But and that's yeah, like Seinfeld a, said something. We we make TV because people don't like to stare at a wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's the same thing industry we're in too, as artists, right? We you know we're creating some novelty to help people, you know, deal through, with the pain of boredom. Not just boredom, but like you know, find some. You're I'm now. I, I am really playing you, right? Like. Find some <laughs> essence of life, you know, like yeah. some some reason worth living to to pull it back to your your purpose thing. Um, and certainly, like purpose cannot be found in a doom scroll. We all know that, like subconsciously and consciously. Um, where is it found? Well, purpose is found by looking in the mirror, you know, as you know, right? And saying, oh, I like hey, uh, having a good time with friends. Sure, that could be. I can't tell you what it is though. Like that's the problem I have with these documentaries, these rhetorical positions. Is like, there if it's about one way that's right or wrong, that means that for you to be right, everyone else has to be wrong. Yeah. If I everyone else is wrong, Werner then suddenly is pretty you're good at, at finding people that have extreme purpose. He always yeah. makes makes movies about people that seem completely you do you. crazy, but they just have this yeah. one. Yeah. You do you. Yeah, yeah. You make a grizzly proof suit. That's awesome. Go ahead, do it. Like, <laughs> There's nothing preventing you from doing that. Like that's an amazing documentary. That that documentary changed my life. Grizzly Man? Yeah. 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 Timothy Treadwell. Oh, you know what though? Like I just uh, alluded to a different documentary called um The Grizzly Project and it's by But, but maybe maybe here's is is a, a suggestion, a topic yeah. of discussion. Werner Herzog grew up in a time before television in in the rubble post World War II, kind of also closed off of pop culture and he's this very idiosyncratic voice where he his references and his music that he uses in movies doesn't seem to fit with the time it's kind of timeless 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a blessing. It seems like he's a, a child that grew up outside of pop culture and outside of uh, the normal life. And and I'm very happy a unique voice like that exists. And then I wonder how many kids are sort of normalized or or just forced to become part of... There's so many people I talk to seem very influenced by the now and the the current and the current attention and clickbait. Like it's 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 uh, it's occupying everyone's mind. Yeah, I guess if the, you're making an interesting point, which is like to analyze the present from the present and to make judgments about what is right or wrong in the present is extremely like self-centered and solipsistic because the subjectivity of one's position at this time is like to the is is extreme like a lot of documentary filmmaking is criticized for looking back and retelling history um but the the benefit of looking back is you can take multiple positions right but in the present i don't know how you take multiple positions without as i said earlier um like forking your identity which is a position i often mm-hmm. take which is like yeah. okay you don't have to be one person you can be n number of people and a lot of young people have taken this on as their mode of navigating the internet through persona well, right it, it's funny when you think of the history of software and and you like, you have a computer that's your main computer and then you have one that can crash and you can run dangerous yeah, software on it exactly and, that's a great example yeah so that's the idea that even in in an operating system, you can have users, and then things are kind of shielded from the different. Users. This is the conversation I wanted to have the whole time, which is like this idea that you are one person is so absurd, so obsolete, and that you can that you can essentially and that you you someone's going to tell you who you are. Um, obviously, like a don't lot you of, think the platforms have uh, over the last few years have geared towards the single identity and verifying you yes, with an ID. Yes. Yeah. But and I think that that's a that's the conversation that's more interesting to have, which is like, hey, why are you preventing me from having a queer identity from from queering it in multiple ways? From because like, they don't want Russians to pretend they're working class Americans and stir up trouble. And that, that again, there is the danger of this rhetorical position, which is now we're going to use Cold War politics to dictate how I choose to express myself. Yeah. Like, I do sound like a libertarian. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's like I don't take my mask away. But <laughs> like <laughs> but like essentially we don't want everyone to behave the same way. We want, you know, we want people to be able to make creative choices about the life it, they this live. This is the first year I'm starting to feel like I always was like privacy whatever, rules whatever, it's fine just if you have nothing to hide. This is yeah. the first year where I'm like this is getting like a little bit crazy. But maybe well, it, 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 here's an example. A Dutch friend of mine lived in L.A. for two years with his children that were 10 and 12 years old, and they went to school. And there was a rule in the school that they were not allowed to touch each other on the playground or to run because there was just too many lawsuits. So they're like, let's just <laughs> get rid of the risk. The children cannot touch each other. Also, they were they were forced to play with different children at all times so they couldn't form gangs. So you can't have the same friend on Monday as Tuesday and whatever. And I'm like... If if everything is going to be geared towards removing risk, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. Well, there's huge but... danger in my argument, too, obviously, which is like, <clears throat> if we don't collectivize, to, we'll, you know... If we'll... there's no personal responsibility to your online identity. Yeah, and there's no and there's no state responsibility for making decisions that are for the greater good, 
It's, it's the argument that conversation will very quickly escalate to very radicalized and impolite if that would never happen if you spoke to someone in person. Yeah. But, you know, like a kind, like kindness and care for one another, in some ways, maybe we find some of the answer, despite, you know, the faults of religion in, in the way religions have managed to scale internationally, right? Like, and have taken a more, you know, ethical position sometimes that are extremely problematic, obviously, towards um, gay people, but in other cases have managed to, like, without any policing, you know, manage the ethics of, you know, hundreds of millions of people while simultaneously giving them the freedom to express themselves, their own labor power in their own way. I don't know. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that puzzles are so popular because all the developers are basically just good at puzzles. And it, and then it's the CEO who decides where to, what puzzle they have to solve. <laughs> yeah, well, I so just read like, it. Yeah. Oh, uh, Twitter is getting more popular. How can we take some of their users? And they're like, okay, da 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 da. Okay, I solved it, boss. What's the next puzzle? Well, puzzles are pretty uh, brainless. So are like those three color matching games that like bejeweled and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're on the subway, you'll see people playing those games. And you're like, yeah. why are they playing them? Well, because there is a certain like satisfaction to not thinking. I, whenever I'm and, on the on the subway when I when I play a game, I uh, organize photos. That's my game. Is there this one really worth keeping? Is this one really worth keeping? And, and maybe you could like counter argue my position, which is like, hey, maybe, you know, why everyone shouldn't be creating. We've got enough creation on this planet. We need to actually be de-escalating creation and, and <laughs> depopulize it, you know, de, you know, depopulating the planet, deconsuming, yeah. decolonizing. Let's oh, reduce. Oh, man, you, you sound like such a different Jeremy. <laughs> I just reduced. Yeah, I just flipped it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are too many people on this planet. <laughs> you sound like a Bond villain. Yeah. Man, oh, that was a Bond villain laugh. Too. I mean, I guess we said that this uh, the social demo is a crap film, but the topic is one that is developing. It's still developing. Yeah, but I, I do think you're underestimating uh, how big of a problem it is for the, so many people. But I mean, European laws around GDPR and the right to your data, and in Canada now we're moving, we're, we've just passed some laws that are moving toward that. This is the inevitable step. But do you I think don't think those it's laws have, have reduced people's addiction? I will say that, like in on the company side, they've changed how companies collect and manage data. Like, okay. And and that and that's true. Like, because I I experienced it firsthand and yeah. um, conversations that didn't happen before, which is like, should we do this or can became, can we do this? You know, like, are, are we going to get in trouble if we don't, if we do this? And and so, but, yeah, uh, you know, for, I think for that you that's guys, good. you're making such a practical tool that uh, doesn't have these questions of, will the tool be radicalized or will the tool be addictive? Uh, but still, you, you have choices, like, how can we gamify accounting and make it really fun to use? And maybe, Well, this is a, a point I wanted if, to make earlier, How too. do we add promos, like, oh, your invoice just came in, do you want to buy a car? Like, well, it could be something like that, but it could also be, like, one of the things we've been, I've been talking a lot about with folks is, like, hey, could we not build engagement loops to help promote, for, for help people grow their businesses or help them succeed at a life goal? Could we take these same negative algorithms and use them to help people mm. make good decisions for themselves that they're in control of? And I actually think the answer to that is yes, we, we And we that's can. a better long-term strategy. But I think we can't do it from a position of like a bunch of white dudes, including myself, and you have to do it in a co-creative way. And I think design, we, we barely touched on design and how these things are designed, but design is moving radically 
over the next few years and already is there towards co-creation with with the consumer, right? And I think that that will continue, or I hope it does. Can you explain that? So, you know, if you think about design in the last century, it was a Dieter Ram school, right? Like less design is great design or the Johnny Ive, right? And then less design is good design became I know what good design is, right? One person, Johnny Ive, knows what good design is. The sort of secular black turtleneck school design. Obviously, in this century, design thinking emerged, and it was still a bunch of white guys like um, that came up with this approach. But within the design thinking realm, which came out of Stanford School and IDEO, the concept was like, okay, well, I'm going to go learn from people before I make a design decision and say, say what's right. Okay. And then I'll test it out. And what I see and observe, I'll iterate upon. I don't think it's that much there's of a, a revolution. There's a funny episode of The Simpsons where um, the car companies are struggling to reach the regular yeah. guy. So they ask it's Homer Simpson car. to design a car. And then he just comes up with the worst ideas, just like 1,500 ideas. So he creates this monstrosity. Yeah. So well, there's that argument. If, if you're you let the audience right. design a product, it's <clears throat> going to be a weird Frankenstein. So in that world, they, there was still a retention of Which control. Which is kind of a back to the point where we got like the algorithms were kind of let loose and then the audience designed the <laughs> that's algorithm. That's true. That's true. But where things are going next is a lot of people are talking about like there's this, the, a pro, you're always solving a problem with design thinking. It's called a how might we statement. But the, the big question is like, who do, who is we? You know, like, and so... The conversations in design Whoever now are about pays. who do we let design, who do we, who is involved in the design process, yeah. who is doing the designing, and that is where the government, in the case of the social dilemma, the movie we're talking about, and where the citizen voice come to play. And it, companies, if they, I think the way it's going to progress, are going to start to include more decision making, you know, from the consumer and government voice than they did. 20 years ago. I think they'll have to because it'll be necessary for their survival, ultimately. Oh, I yeah, could be wrong. Have, we could I just descend no into idea. further chaos. Yeah. Yeah. But I can talk about, from a design culture standpoint, we're talking about, like, how do we, you know, take on anti-racism practices in our design process? Because even though we design an accounting product, as an example, you know, we're designing it from Toronto, like a very privileged, fast-growing, like, tech city, right? Like... And how do I know if that's right for some other area of the world? Whatever we're doing. I think you should here. create a tool where. Um, you, I was asking my friend, is a tech CEO or ex tech CEO, and he says there's so many tech workers that are very wealthy and feel very guilty. And I want to make a book called Miserable Rich People, where you just interview all these people that don't know what to do with their money. They feel terrible. And, <laughs> Well, a lot of folks are investing in new companies that I know here anyway. Yeah, I know, So I have a lot of friends who worked at Shopify. They're perpetuating the same culture of efficiency. Well, no. Like one example would be a friend of mine has decided to like fund uh, like an ovulation, like, um, sorry, not an ovulation, but like a, you know, if you're going to do artificial insemination, you're going to try and have a child, you know, what, there's a whole bunch of pain in that process. So it's like she's funding a new startup mm. to help, you know, resolve that because a lot of, there's a lot of problems that haven't been solved that could benefit from technology the other thing is like the idea that tech is just inherently bad is um he's not even mark not even marx would agree with that like he would say that it's the way you design it if you design it as a machine yeah sure because you're you the the human becomes a tool of the machine versus if you design it as a tool the machine becomes a tool of the human 
you know, you have to really think about design in this uh, equation. Jeremy, I think it's because you own a Tesla now, you're becoming a libertarian. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It's true. I do think it's, consumer it's choice matters, though. I think it, it's a mixture, though. It's a balance. It doesn't yeah. have to be one or the other. I also don't Well, it's definitely, why. like, people are complicated, and this movie was not about uh, complicated. Well, this is maybe the final point I'll make in regards to movies like this, and your point about this is clickbait to make you hate is that that in of itself is the opposite of what we want to create. We want to create spaces where two positions, I mean, this is dangerous too, but like two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten positions might exist at the same time. Um, and no position. I think that's the position of art, where you create something that is, is it just is. It's not trying to tell you something, but it's just there. That's a that's a great point too. Like you know, but art has always also asked itself, what is the intent? Who is the author? You know. No, that's I I think I prefer this idea that there's a tree and you don't ask why the tree is there and you you're happy that the tree is there and you go sit by it. <clears throat> so you're like almost of the uh, the the um, the spiritual side of art too, where the object yeah. holds spiritual like energy. yeah, but 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 no preconceived outcome. So it's just that it's there. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, yeah, let's leave it at that. We, there's so much to talk about. I think it's unfortunate the film is so bad, but the topic is Well, it's funny. This this movie is basically the first uh, 80 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So we're trying to do a summary in an hour. We'll never get there. Yeah. And I did get a little bit hyped up today. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you do want this a better summary, I think probably of the movie, do read Shoshana Zuboff's book, the Surveillance Capitalism book. I think it's a great summary of the. Yeah, or go on Facebook. Maybe you find something there. Mm. <laughs> Man, yeah. Facebook is so read, dead. Read it's the long form content. Like fuck. Yeah. Like just go back and like read the real. Like do the do the do the work. Like if you're gonna spend two hours on Facebook, why not read a book? Yeah. Well, because it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible I'm not saying all books are great a lot of them are clickbait no, I'm, too I'm, I'm asking how many books did you read in 2020 probably like 10 or so but I read a lot of okay. business books and things like that yeah alright yeah. All right. thank anyway, you for listening thanks everyone take care bye bye bye